Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. You know, sooner or later we all need rescue. Uh, really sooner rather than later. Most of the time your, your rescue has, you know, we think of that in terms of helping a young child whose hand is going toward the stove, uh, an eye on the stove, or who's about to step down the flight of steps. You grab the back of their neck or the back of their shirt or their arm as quick as you can to prevent a catastrophe from happening. Uh, as they turn into adolescence, the rescue looks more emotional oftentimes. The drama of teenage years and how relationships can have a toll on, on your kids and you're there to help rescue them from that. And as we turn into adulthood, sometimes our rescue looks uh, more spiritual than, than it does emotional. And it, it can be physical too, our rescue can, but it, it looks more spiritual and oftentimes more relational of what we need rescue from in the habits that we put in place and how those habits have unintentionally but led us away from God's plan and direction and purpose for our life. We're going to spend these next few weeks talking about rescue by beginning today talking about our need to be rescued from ourselves, about how oftentimes we are our own worst problem, our own worst enemy. Turn to Romans chapter 7. I want us to look at this story here from the Apostle Paul today, from verses 15 through the, through, uh, down through verse 20, 25, sorry. And see this story unfold of his description of himself, and you and I can probably identify very readily with this story. Verse 15 says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I, I, I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now, if I do not want to do what I want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me as well, waging war against the law of my mind and making, making me a prisoner of the law of sin to work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, four things I want us to see relative to rescue from ourselves today from this text. The first of which is this. My rescue depends on seeing my problem is me. It depends on seeing my problem is me. Look at 15 to 17 again. I do not understand what I do for I, what I want, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. He talks about here that I don't get it. I don't understand what drives me to do the things that, that I wanted. My, 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 it, it, it's as if I have an out-of-body experience and this other, other person, this other man takes over. It's, uh, it, it's hard in this everybody's a victim world that we find ourselves living in. 
to find someone who's willing to take personal responsibility for their own decisions and, and see the consequence of those, of those same decisions. Uh, it's, it's, it's harder to come, to come to grips with the fact that I need to recognize that in, in many cases, my problem is me. It's not somebody else, but it's me. If I'm putting myself in situations where I need rescue and constantly blaming someone or something else for putting me there, I will seldom, if ever, see God's hand of rescue. Let me, let me share that with you again. If I'm putting myself in situations where I need rescue and I'm constantly blaming somebody else for my being there, it's going to be seldom, if ever, that I see God's hand of rescue coming to get me and rescue me from that situation. It's all about being brutally honest with God, about being honest with myself, about being honest with others that gets me to being personally responsible enough to, watch this, to hold myself accountable for my own decisions. I've got to be honest with myself and others to do that and with God to do that. But he's calling us to hold ourselves accountable for our own decisions. However, when I can get myself to the place of total honesty, total transparency, if I can get myself to that place, I'll begin to stop this blame game and begin to look for the hand of God, the will of God, the plans of God, the ways of God for my life. That's the first and most important step in experiencing rescue is I got to realize oftentimes my problem is me. Second thing is this, my rescue depends on not only seeing my problem as me, but it depends on separating the sin from the sinner. Separating the sin from the sinner. Look at verse 20 with me. He says, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. No longer I, but the sin in me that does it. You'll recall the story in John chapter 8 of the Pharisees and Sadducees bringing Magdalene before Jesus, this prostitute who was caught in the act. And uh, they bring him before the Lord, bring her before the Lord. You know what the law says. What do you say, Jesus? He stoops down, pauses to write something in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. Uh, heard Dr. Uh, Rogers one time say he thought he was writing the sins of all those accusers that was that brought there <laughs> and there. You can imagine if they're close enough to see that rocks start dropping and they start stepping away real quick. But we don't know what he wrote in the sand, but he pauses to write in the sand and of course raises up to say, he who is without stone, without sin, you cast the first stone. Meaning, I have the ability, and you should too, but I have the ability to separate this woman's sin from the woman that she is. Separating the sin from the sinner. He did that perfectly. It's harder for us to do that, but if we can get to that place where we can separate not only other sin, but our own sin from, from me, the me that I am, we'll start to see through the lens that I think that God wants us to see. We can get to the point of being able to separate those, in our, those things in our mind. It's much easier to see the temptation ahead of time. It's much easier to see the enemy ahead of time. It's much easier to see the angles that he comes and plays at us with. Uh, if we can separate those two things, it is a hard, hard, hard get. I understand that. But if we can get to that place, we'll start to see him coming a little more quickly and be able to prepare for what he's, what he's up to uh, stepping into, in, instead of stepping into disobedience and failure. Now notice also that the word evil is mentioned two or three times in this text, depending on your translation. It says the word evil comes, comes to mind several times, and I think it's to point us to the fact that all sin is sourced, all sin is birthed in our enemy, the devil. And I think that's the, the reference to evil in this text. It's, it's the devil himself, and he doesn't, he never presents himself as evil. He never presents himself as darkness. 
Yet he is both of those things. He always presents himself as, in fact, the scripture in the Old Testament refers to him as the children of, the child of light, father of the morning, son of the morning. Uh, he presents himself in a positive, uh, uh, alluring, uh, you get it. You understand how he presents himself to you. I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for words because he always wants to make himself attractive and the sin attractive. And he does it, and he's good at it. He's crafty at it. He's been doing it for thousands of years. So if we can see that coming, though, and separate the sin from the sinner, it's much easier to see what he's up to. Uh, it's, that's exactly who he is and how he works. He keeps us connected and bound to the sin. And, and beyond that, he wants us to think that that's normal, that this is how we're supposed to walk, that failure is a part of life. Everybody fails, so just deal with it. See yourself through that lens and keep walking. That's not normal. We, we, and we'll, we'll never see that that's not normal until we can learn to effectively uh, separate the sin from the sinner. Thirdly, not only does my rescue depend on seeing my problem as me and on separating the sin from the sinner, but it depends on defending the target. Defending the target. Look, look at verse 21, 22, and 23. So I, I find this law at work, he says. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For... In my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that's at work within me. Waging war against the law of my, uh, of my mind. Before anyone's behavior changes, their mind has to change first. We have to get some mental assent to the fact of what we're about to do or that change before it occurs. And this war between good and evil, between right and wrong, between bondage and freedom, is waged in the mind. The body then walks out what the mind has decided to do. Romans 12, 2 tells us that our minds need to be continually renewed to enable them to recognize the enemy when he comes, recognize sin when it comes, recognize temptation when it comes, recognize the pit before we fall into it. That our minds need to be renewed to recognize those things and, and we then can then learn to push back against evil, push back against what is sinful, and be filled with the truth. Sounds real easy, doesn't it? It's not. But we get there by how we digest ourselves in this book. How do we recognize evil and truth? How do we defend the target? We've got to find our nose and our mind and our hearts in, in God's word to see that. Notice in verse 21, he says that evil is right there with me instead of in me. Significant difference there. The fact that evil is with him points to the fact that, and the scripture teaches this, I'm not going to share with you a couple of two or three contexts where it does, but Scripture teaches that demons are just as real as angels are, but that a believer cannot be demonically possessed, but can be demonically oppressed. We can have influence of the, of the enemy and his demons in this world, and I think that's what he's referring to there to say, I, f I find that evil is present with me. I I, I, he, he's standing right beside me. He's not in my heart. My soul belongs to Christ, belongs to Jesus. So consequently, I can't be possessed by the devil, but I can be oppressed by him. And many of us have experienced that in our life. He, I'm, I'm glad he makes that distinction because the enemy will tell you that you are not in control, that the Lord Jesus has left you in time of temptation. Where's your God? Where is he? Where's, your, where's the help in time of trouble? And, and it looks like the only, only two guys here standing is me and you. And he'll try to convince us that the fact that we are under his, under his grasp and under his grip, 
We can't get away, and we can. There's always a way of escape, Scripture says. Satan will try to convince you otherwise uh, that the Scripture places clear boundaries on the soul of a, of a child of God in the form of the Holy Spirit. The scripture refers to the Holy Spirit as, as the guardian, the gatekeeper in your life, as, as a protector, the defender, and he's there to wage war against the enemy's idea to think, you, to think of you as his possession. So we're there to defend the target, and the target, as I said, is our mind. That's where the war is waged. All right, rescue depends on seeing my problem as me, on separating the sin from the sinner, on defending the target, and finally, my rescue depends on recognizing my deliverer. Depends on recognizing my deliverer. Look at 24 and 25 again. It says, what a wretched man that I am. This is the Apostle Paul, a great man of faith. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul asks the question both for himself and for us in verse 24. Who will rescue me from this body of death? From this body that's, that's born to die. That's born more alive than it's ever been. And, and walks toward a, a place called death every step after that birth. We are, all, we are all dying bodies. Our bodies are dying. Our souls will live forever. We all find ourselves in this body that is seemingly conformed to, 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 to this world and its ways in, in, in ways that push us to where we wonder, is there any physical escape? Is there anything spiritual that can push me to a physical place where I'm no longer encumbered and the temptations no longer come? And, and I'm just, it's victory after victory after, after victory. In this world, can I tell you? No, that's never going to happen to you. <laughs> Not in this world. Satan's going to continue to come after you. Now, can you better manage seeing him coming? Sure you can. Can you live with small victories and, and those small victories turn into greater victories and greater victories to where you're not, you're no longer under his grip, but you're walking in, in greater freedom than you are in, in, in oppression? Yes, you absolutely can. But there is discipline that has to be put in place in your life and my life. And that discipline involves his word and his spirit and by way of prayer, walking in those two places on a regular basis. But he, he understands here who is delivers, who, who rescued me from this, this body of death. He already knew the answer, and we do too. Uh, this world wants you to think that you are the solution. It wants you to think that you're a part of the solution. What's going on? He points to it. My problem is me. My solution is God. Paul gets it, and we should too. We're not a part of the solution. He is. He's already admitted to us in this text that he's not only the solution, but he's a significant part, if not the biggest part of the problem uh, of what's going on in his life. And we can learn to get out of the way and that's hard. When we can, you and I can learn to get out of our own way. It's then and only then that we can begin to recognize the, the rescue of the hand of God reaching for us to pull us back. Notice also that God's rescue is through his son Jesus pointing us to the, this, this once for all sacrifice and work of the cross that he's done for us. Rescuing us from the power of sin by the blood of Jesus. So then your best vantage point from the pit is not some book or a song, or a memory, or even someone else. Your best vantage point from the pit, if you find yourself in the pit of life, is the cross. That's where you need to be looking from the pit. That's the redemptive work of Christ, having done that, to give us a place to say, I need help, and you're it. And if you can't do it, no one else can. That's, that's, that's what Paul is trying to get us to see today, because here's what's, what the reality we started with, we end with, and that's this. All of us need rescue from time to time. 
I don't care how old you are, how young you are, I don't care how far you've been through life, what, what this world has brought you through. You're going to, from time to time, need rescue. And sometimes it may be drastic. Can I share with you, based on my own experience, it's never as quick as you think it should be. But it's always better than you think it should be. Once you, If you let God's way and His plan of rescue play out in your life, if you'll trust His timing and trust the ways in, in which He maneuvers things <clears throat> in you, for you, and around you, over time, you're going to see, I want, that's the way I want to walk. That's the fruit I want my life to bear. Now, it seems, though, when we're in a pit, we need rescue. That God, where are you? I mean, I'm not on this earth very long. I don't have that many years. I don't have that much time. Let's go. Let's get it. Where are you at? I thought I could depend on you to be quicker. When an eternal God looks at you and says, kind of like we looked at last week, Simon, Simon. When he looks at me, he says, Tim, Tim. I'm an eternal God. I don't work on your timetable. I work on mine. And it's better for you to work on mine too. Don't get impatient with me. Trust me. Trust my sense of rescue. Trust my sense of timing for you. Because we're all going to need that rescue from time to time. Well, the best place to start that rescue is to look at ourselves to see if we're part of the problem. Can I share with you? You're part of the problem. In fact, in many cases, you are the problem. And I am too. Uh, if that's the case, then I want you to seek to humble yourself before the Lord. And humble myself, sure, because the pit always has a purpose. Always has a purpose. If you need rescue, God has, God has got you needing rescue by divine design. So that you look to him and only him for that rescue. And learn what he wants you to learn from the pit, the hard place, the valley. We're all going to face that from time to time. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. Call out to him. But learn, learn, learn to get out of your own way and look to him. Let's pray. Father, would you help me see today that, my again, my problem is me. It's not my circumstances. I'm not the victim of someone else. My, my fingers aren't pointed at any, at any place but me today. Would you help us to see today that and we can learn to want what you want for us. We can learn to walk toward what you, your, your plans and your desire for us is. We're going to need rescue less and less because we find ourselves in, in fewer places of disobedience. But all of us are there from time to time. Maybe even today in this room, there, there are some folks that are here today that are in a hard place, are in a pit, and can't see the way out and need you to rescue them. Would they learn to, to focus on you and only you and totally you? Would you teach us to get out of our own way, to get out of our own mind, out of our own ideas? Would you teach us to learn to empty ourselves, humble ourselves before you and say, God, if you can't, nobody can. And I trust you. And I give my heart and life to you. I give this situation to you. I give these circumstances to you. I give the pit to you. I give the loss to you. I give the hurt to you. Take it and bring glory to yourself through it. And as you start to rescue us from those Sometimes it's not immediate. Sometimes it's a process of time. But as you start to rescue us from our own, our own past, our own, our own troubles, our own situations, and we start to see your hand at work, you start to develop a track record in our hearts and minds of learning to lean on you more faithfully, trust you more regularly, walk with you more intimately. 
Teach us to hunger and, and thirst for that place today and reach out to the cross. That's our focus. That's our focal point when we're in the pit is the cross. And we trust your work there to take care of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.